0: Hey everybody, this is Luke LaRock Walker. And I'm Paul Imperius. We're from True North Dentron Implant Center in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada. And we're excited to invite you to the IvoClaire Ballroom in Chicago. Come and join us on Saturday, February 24th from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. We'll be sharing our wisdom and tips and tricks for success. You'll learn how we transition from analog to a digital denture workflow. And how you can, too. So, if you're making dentures and want to transition to digital success, come and see us. We can't wait to meet you and collaborate on your journey to a better smile.
1: Come see many other speakers in the Iva Clark Ballroom during Lab Day Chicago.
0: Also, Barb and I will be there all weekend recording anyone willing to sit down.
1: So head over to VoicesFromTheBench.com forward slash Ivaclar for the full list of speakers.
0: And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Ivaclar. Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at VoicesFromTheBench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 205 of, wait, no, stop. Greetings and welcome to episode 305 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Alvis hey my name's barbara what's happening barb how are you
1: i'm all right life is good life is good
0: nice we missed you at vegas at the visions 21 last weekend
1: no i've seen pictures it doesn't appear that you behaved at all with your (laughs) your tomahawk steak bone let me tell you
0: about this tomahawk yeah do it i got invited out to dinner with about 11 other colleagues friends acquaintances in the industry had no idea who was covering this bill. You know it's Vegas, so yeah. I don't know. I just went with the flow. And we show up at the steak restaurant. I'm sitting next to our good friend Joe Young. Yeah. And Mike Farargo is also on, near me. And yeah. we notice on the menu that they have a $400 tomahawk steak that feeds three to four people. Hmm. So we decide to split this thing amongst the three of us. Okay. Now, keep in mind, this is Vegas. So in order to bring this tomahawk steak to the table... It is suspended on a tripod with Christmas lights, and they light it on fire in front of you.
1: You've
0: got to be kidding me. That's awesome.
1: It was pretty cool. That's fun!
0: Yep, then he lays it all out, slices it all up, and uh, we couldn't finish it. It was. Well, I was going to say, was
1: there enough for you guys?
0: Oh, there was way more meat than any three to four people should probably have oh, wow. at one time. It was That's a lot cool. of meat. It was a great time. What a great meeting you know they did a really nice job
1: yeah super sorry to miss it but at least you know everybody got together and talked and speakers and fun and you know everything i've seen uh has just been amazing so kudos to everybody
0: yeah the speakers were really good i actually enjoyed the ones more that had people from our industry there was a couple round tables rob lazure got up there and just kind of like blew our mind with ai just you know those kind of those kind of speakers cuz vision's always brings in those outside the industry speakers
1: yeah. to talk about
0: management and stuff which is good you need to hear yep. another perspective but i was really into our uh, our friends up on stage i guess
1: yeah And Morris, our good friend, Morris.
0: Oh, Morris Yes. So
1: excited. No more person that I know more deserving than that man for the Hall of Fame Award. That is so neat.
0: It is so great. A lot of our friends got awards, but Morris, special recognition for his award this year. Hall of Fame. You're right. There's nobody that deserves it more.
1: I even heard that Paula, our good friend, Paula screaming. She sent me his speech, and now you could hear her.
0: Yeah, yeah. If anyone knows that couple, hell yeah, I'm sure you heard Paula from Florida. Uh You know it, (laughs) but of course, part of Visions is uh, raising money for the foundation, which we love to do here on the podcast, and we raised a bunch of money at the meeting. So I know, I know, it's great. Yeah, it's it's amazing how everybody can come together to support this great cause. Absolutely love it.
1: And I know I've seen everybody online posting that they got their new shirts and hoodies.
0: We have a lot of people showing it off. And you got yours, right?
1: Heck yeah, I got my seven.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They turned out fantastic. They are. The zippered hoodies are really nice. You never know when you get into these things.
1: I got me one of them and my son.
0: So we really look forward to seeing everybody wearing them when they come see us at Lab Day Chicago. Remember, in the Clar Ballroom. Right on. If you don't know, that's the big room right across the hall from the registration desk. Super easy to find us. We're going to be there most of Friday and all day Saturday. If you want to be on the podcast, great. If you just want to come by and say hi that's good too. that's great too we're just happy to see everybody so make sure you come and see us
1: my partner wants a lot of content so please yes (laughs) more the merrier
0: fill the laptop you know it so this week we are bringing back a past guest for her own episode yes way back in june of 22 we talked to craig and cj holland because they created a design software that was being used by Dr. Wendy Clark at the University of North Carolina. So happy to have Dr. Clark come back on to give us a unique perspective into the world of digital dentures. We talk to a lot of people on this podcast about digital dentures. I'm so happy we get the clinical perspective here. Dr. Clark fell in love with removables because of the technician at the school when she was still a student and after a brief run at a private practice, she knew she wanted to teach other aspiring dentists the correct way to do removables. Nice. We need a lot of that. (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) Doing her first digital denture back in 2013, she saw the potential and she quickly became an advocate for the workflow. Dr. Clark gives us the history of digital dentures, the different types and workflows, what she and her students are seeing clinically and in their lab, why they fail, and of course, why they work. It's a great conversation talking about workflow that's being adapted by dentists faster than it's being adapted by labs. So join us as we chat with Dr. Wendy Clark. Whether you're looking to elevate your craftsmanship or looking to cut back on cost, look no further. Vita MFT teeth are the
1: ultimate solution for creating lifelike and stunning smiles.
0: Crafted with precision and backed by cutting edge technology, Vita MFT teeth offer unparalleled aesthetics and durability. And since Vita believes
1: in the power of experiencing excellence firsthand, for a limited time only, they are offering you the chance to get a complimentary case sample.
0: That's right, a full case, absolutely free. Just visit VitaNorthAmerica.com forward slash
1: Don't wait any longer to start providing your customers a premium tooth at an economy price. Redeem your free case sample, and if you're ready to buy, Vita will even give you an extra 10% off discount by shopping online on their newly launched online store.
0: Join the Vita family today, and we appreciate your support of the podcast. Hey, it's Candelor
1: from Switzerland. We have been designing teeth since 1936. Successful tooth design knows only one benchmark, your own standards and those of your patients. Discover our Toothline PhysioSet TCR with new 18-anterior moulds, manufactured specially for the US market and your daily work at your bench. If you are looking for new options in removable, get to know us at Candelore.com and find out more. You will be supported and supplied by our authorised dealer, Edmunds Dental Supply. Candylore, high-end
0: only. Voices from the Bench, The Interview. Barb and I are super excited today. We welcome back a guest we had on, I think it was like summer of 22.
2: That sounds about right, yeah.
0: It's been a while. Dr. Wendy Clark, welcome back to the podcast. How are you?
2: i'm wonderful thank you so much for
1: having me back
0: absolutely we are here on a super early recording this might be the earliest recording the podcast has ever done
1: yeah and you sound like you have a morning voice you're a little rat
0: yeah yeah you guys are the first people i've talked to the dogs didn't want to have a conversation
1: <laughs> i'm honored my cats always
2: want to talk to me bright and early
0: same <laughs> wow, Maybe it's a cat thing it is for sure <laughs> well dr clark this is how I'm going to introduce you. Dr. Wendy Clark, DDS, MS, Associate Professor of Prosedonics at the UNC Adams School of Dentistry. Nice. All that I got off of your email. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> but Dr. Clark, I wanted to have you back on because, honestly, you're in the schools, but you're really into digital dentures. And I'm seeing this kind of shift in our industry where digital dentures are becoming more accepted, but there's still this kind of what if about them. Do you know what I'm saying? How?
2: Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. And I like to remind all my friends and students that we started using PMMA and press packing our dentures back in 1937. So we have a hundred years of experience almost <laughs> with this material and it's going to be hard for anything to come in and compete with that. I mean, we're coming off, of, we're coming out of a great relationship,
0: <laughs> yeah. great long-term relationship. Nineteen thirty-seven is when. Nineteen thirty-seven is that when, like acrylic? When was vulcanite? When was that a thing? That before <laughs> or after?
2: Vulcanite was before, but they started press packing acrylic the same way with the same metal flasks and gypsum investment in nineteen thirty-seven.
0: Well, I don't think we're ready for a change. So let's say goodbye. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> why why fix something that's not broken?
0: <laughs> wow, I had no idea it went back that far,
2: yeah, so we got plenty of long term data on that,
0: <laughs> yeah, so before we get into all the material and the digital and all that, remind us how you ended up teaching at a school.
2: <laughs> I fell in love with teaching early on in my career. And it was something I knew I always wanted to do. I wanted to private practice a little bit since the majority of dental students will go into practice. So kind of get get my feet wet in the private practice world and then go into teaching. For how long? Um, I practiced for seven years.
0: Oh, that's not dipping a foot. That was <laughs> a while. Did you go to the school you're teaching at now?
2: No, I went to dental school at Marquette in Milwaukee. And that was where I fell in love with removable PROS. And I actually, the reason why I became a PROS and fell in love with PROS was our school lab tech. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, I think in, in another lifetime, I would have been a lab tech. So every time I get to sneak in on Voices from the Bench or get to go to any lab meetings, I feel like I'm kind of invading a, a dream world. So I it's, it's really an honor to be here. And lab techs are my 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 soulmates. <laughs> That's
1: hilarious. What do you mean you fell in love with a lab tech? So did you go in and watch? And... I fell in love with cross through a lab tech. I did not fall in love with uh.
2: Sue.
1: <laughs> Her name was Sue Bransky.
2: She was a removable tech from Wisconsin. Amazing person. And uh, she she processed all the removables for all the dental students and put up with all of us. Uh And she was just um, oh, my gosh, she loved her job. She loved to teach. She loved to create. And uh, she let me hang around and ask way too many questions. And it was a really cool experience. And I'm really grateful that I got to see the lab side as a dental student.
1: I love that, too. It's nice to hear a doctor say that uh, they spent a lot of time in the lab and enjoyed watching us lab techs. That's
0: great. Was she the only lab tech for the whole school? She
1: was the only removable tech
2: for the school. We had a removable tech and a fixed tech, but she she made all of our, she processed all our dentures for us.
0: (laughs) So how many dentures did you do in school? Because there's a lot of, I don't know, a lot of technicians out there are saying that dental students aren't doing any. In school,
2: um, I probably did five or six arches, and that's pretty typical. Is our, it? Yeah, and that's pretty typical even today for our students. The major, we have a quote unquote requirement, even though I'm not allowed to use that word, <laughs> of <What>? doing art. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Although the, we have a different word now that's that's more user friendly. Oh.
1: <laughs> but these are pros students, correct? Not no, just these are
2: the general dental students. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay. I mostly work with the aspiring DDS students.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Our pros students, I, I hope, do way, way, way more than four yeah, arches no of. Real.
1: Okay. That yeah, makes...
2: so our students do about four arches of complete dentures on average and about three arches of partial dentures. So they're leaving here with about seven units at least.
1: And that's a lot more than I thought you guys were doing in school. Mm hmm. That's pretty fascinating because, you know, I know from you know, my own personal laboratory here that it seems like the dentists do not know very much about removable. Would you agree with that or
0: I agree with that?
2: <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I've kind of found this this weird little niche platform that I teach in is I think that even doing six, seven arches of removable of dentures in dental school, a lot of clinicians still graduate pretty uncomfortable with a process. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about like with a, with a crown prep, there's parameters and there's rules and you follow them. You need this much clearance. Your margin has to be here with dentures. It's, I mean, every patient you see is totally different yeah. and every mouth is different and all the muscles are different and the patient's psychosocial issues that they bring in are different. And so that's a I nice think you way can... of saying that. i I told you i've I've learned to be quite political (laughs) i'll I'll be running for president (laughs) but i think that you can treat 20 denture patients and every experience is totally different versus fixed it's not necessarily that Hmm. uh, that way
0: so the ones that they're doing in school are they doing them on patients or are they just doing them on like the perfect model (laughs)
2: they only do one on the perfect model and they do six arches on patients. Wow. So -hmm. they
0: go from one model to in the mouth.
2: Yeah. And I feel like that's pretty fair with, with dentures. I mean, they could make a hundred dentures for the mannequin and it's going to be the same. Yeah,
0: I guess that's right.
2: (laughs) And I don't know. I always like to remind my students and even clinicians that we act like dentures are a scary treatment, but It's pretty hard to hurt somebody (laughs) while you're making a denture. I mean, you don't have to use anesthesia. There's no, I mean, unless you're doing pre prosthetic surgery, there's not a lot of room for, you know, irreversible trauma. Hmm, Um, I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things is that it is a reversible procedure. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you make a bad denture, you can always refund the patient's money or try again or refer to a colleague. And I mean, it's, it's not the end
1: of the world.
0: Yeah. Well, remember, you're talking to a lab audience, though. We don't want to refund these things if we can't make it work.
2: Oh no! I mean, I I never. I always pay my lab bill. You can you can call my technicians. (laughs) And I I mean, I think that's one of the hard lessons to learn. Is it's a lot of chair time, and that chair time costs a lot of money. Yeah. At the end of the day, unless unless it's a technical error, I don't expect my technician to remake it at no
0: charge. Because I think that's what a lot of clinicians are worried about when taking on removable patients is that it's going to be seven times in the chair and mm-hmm. that patient will constantly call it a complaint and constantly need adjustments and relines and co-soft. And,
2: and what a wonderful transition because enter digital dentures. <laughs> Hell, <to the>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now condense the workflow so you're only seeing the patient two, three, four times instead of five, six, seven times, you've now preserved all the patient's records. And I think to me, that's one of the most beautiful things is that preservation of records from a clinical standpoint and a technician standpoint that when the patient does a wax tooth try-in, you end up sending it back, rearranging it. And then the patient's like, I think I liked it better last time. Good luck getting back to that previous wax tooth setup. hundred percent. With digital, I mean, we save each file and we can stack each file. And so I don't, Get palpitations when a patient says, I like the previous try and better. I just go back to that STL and reprint that one. And now that's our new master file. So mm. I think a lot of the the stressors of conventional complete dentures have gone by the wayside with digital. And same with relines. I mean, one of the hardest things as a clinician and probably also as a technician is when you have to do a laboratory reline, and I'm calling my tech and saying, Can you have this done in an hour mm. or a day whatever? Oh, yeah. And then with digital, I scan it, let the patient wear the same one home and get a new one printed or milled. So
0: so how did you get introduced into digital? Because let's be honest, most teachers at schools are pretty, no pun intended, old school.
2: <laughs> That's fair. And I think one of the blessings of being in the field the time that I was, that I'm in the field is I started with conventional training and I'm, I press packed the dentures and you know, I got to, I remember when we just got the, I cap injection and it was like, this is the biggest <laughs> revolution in dentures in the history of time. So I got to kind of go through all that and grow up with that in my training and digital dentures really became commercially available in 2012. So it's, It's actually been on the market now for over ten years. I mean, twelve years. We've been working now with this.
0: We're yeah, but how good were they in two thousand twelve?
2: Well, the I like to also focus on some of the workflows rather than the products because I can print some dentures on my any cubic printer with some try-in resin, and it's not going to be the same product as something that's milled out of a you know a monolithic block and then hand finished by a technician. So. I mean, that's kind of comparing apples to oranges, the same way we have with conventional dentures. And I always like to remind my, my attendees also that, I mean, I've helped out with service clinics where they had a contract with a lab where they were doing pro bono dentures with a $100 lab fee. All the way up to one time, yes, I did have a $900 lab fee with a master technician on a single arch of dentures. And so if with conventional, I have a lab bill ranging from a hundred dollars to nine hundred dollars. I mean, you can imagine the discrepancy in quality between oh, those. Yeah. What
0: the hell was that nine hundred dollar denture made out of?
2: Uh. <laughs> Press pack polymethyl methacrylate with a custom stain and the who made stain it. Yeah. And
0: gold sure. flakes and <laughs> yeah. wow, it was
2: worth every penny. <laughs>
0: Did it fit?
2: <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, only after three adjustments,
0: but <laughs> oh, of course so 2012
2: 2012 and at the first case I did was in 2013 so I did kind of jump in a little early and in, I think you'll appreciate this as people that appreciate the old school that the reason why I got into digital dentures was because they had built a gothic arch tracer into their <laughs> custom trace
1: that's why so what that's was why. about
2: that I just I was like this is so cool like taking this Concept that works well. Like when you can work well with a gothic arch tracer, you will nail your centric relation. But wow. it's so impractical to you know, build it into your custom trays if you're making them in-house or to find a technician that is comfortable working with Gothic arch tracings.
1: Can you tell me what that is? Because I actually don't know.
2: Sure. So there's something, it's it's like a central bearing pin or central bearing device where you have a, a striking plate on the maxillary denture or maxillary wax rim. Right. And then a little customizable pin on the mandibular denture. And it basically gets out any interferences because you don't have any teeth interdigitating. You can kind of seat the patient back at the centric more predictably. And so you end up getting a denture that has really great occlusion at the clinical try-in. Usually you'll put it on your wax rims at that stage, but you can certainly put it on uh, some patient's existing dentures if they've lost their home bite and you can deprogram them in their existing dentures. But it's like you said, it's if you haven't heard of it or haven't worked with it often, and it's a pretty rare thing now. It was super common back in the 1930s and 40s. (laughs) 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 And so to see that and to see that they've taken this technology that we used decades and decades and decades ago and worked well, but was impractical Mm. and incorporated it into this really cool practical workflow. I was like, dang, I want to try that. But because I was a prosthetist and I'd gone through all this training where I used to make all my own dentures, I was like, "There's no way that a robot can do this better than me." So my first three cases, I actually made one set of dentures myself and had the computer make the other set of dentures and work.
0: Oh with sure, yeah.
2: Ten And then, you know, always at the delivery, I'm like, which one do you like better? And they always pick the digital.
1: (laughs) Wow. And why do you think? The look, the feel, the whole thing?
2: Um, I think a lot of it is the feel, Um, especially patients that have like steep palatal vaults or kind of interesting anatomy. A lot of times it's hard to make in wax a really consistent thickness of the palate. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see a lot of palettes get really thick or inconsistent. Whereas when a computer is doing it, you can really streamline that and make sure that it's two millimeters everywhere. And so, and the material itself, I think, especially some of the milled resins and the printed resins have a more of a lightness to them hmm. than the processed resins. And so I think part of it's the, the weight, part of it's this, the palatal vault
1: contours. That's a very, very, I've never heard weight before, but that's super interesting that you brought that up. So the digital dentures are lighter.
2: Yep. That's what patients say too. pretty consistently
0: did you know that elvis i don't know if i knew that they were lighter but i know you can make them thinner Hmm. and still have the strength would you say that's fair doctor
2: yeah i think that's fair i think one of the the things that scares me though and one of the areas and this is probably going off too much on a tangent but one of the areas where i've seen failures in digital dentures is when they do need those internal adjustments because they're already kind of milled at minimal thickness yeah and then we're the mm. a side, and then you'll start to see the midline fractures that way. Wow. So all the, all the failures I've seen have been pretty significantly adjusted on the intaglio.
0: Yeah. So when you were getting into it with Avident, I believe you said, you were in private practice?
2: Yeah, I was in private practice, and I actually worked with both Denka and Avident.
0: Oh, yeah, Denka, yeah. So honestly, intraoral wasn't that big, so you probably had to send things off, right?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Intraoral was not that big yet. And we had we actually were using Intraoral for um, Crown and Bridge and our Invisalign at that time, but we hadn't incorporated it in removable yet.
1: So did you have to perfect your own personal workflow?
2: not at that time. So they had and it was it's kind of interesting when you go through the the history of digital dentures. When they first came out in 2012, they were really strict on the workflows. There was one workflow that Avident worked with the AMD for anybody that <laughs> was an early Avident adopter. And then Denka had their own with their trays and you worked with uh their Lab in California and their scanner. Okay. So there was not really much deviation allowed at that time just because the systems were so closed. And it was, I mean, you probably remember the same with Fixed. When you had a scanner, you could only send a this lab yeah. and this printer. It was kind of the same with dentures at the time.
0: Okay. Wow. So you started in 2012. Obviously, they're a lot better material and oh, look yeah. today. <laughs>
2: For sure. And better workflows. I mean, it's kind of improved in every aspect.
0: But how did you keep up with it if you're teaching?
2: (laughs) I just can't stop playing with this stuff, you guys.
0: (laughs) The school allows you to?
2: Yeah, I see patients a day a week in our faculty practice, which is like a private practice. And then, I mean, also the, the students are just excited to learn all the new stuff. So It's been a really, really fascinating, I think it's actually been a more fascinating journey on the academic side than it has in the private practice side, believe it or not. Hmm. Because when I first started, my introduction to the dental students was a single lecture and they say, these exist and maybe someday you'll use them. And then in 2018, we ran a little pilot study to see if we could work in a milled denture workflow in the dental student clinics. Mm. And there was only maybe a few other schools in the country at the time that were doing something similar. So it was kind of charting new territories <laughs> as we tried to include this in the student clinic curriculum. But we actually adopted it in the clinic before we really, really taught it well in the pre clinic because it was more of a product than the workflow. And now that we were able to Teach it more in the preclinic now they're learning the workflows and the products, and it's just to me it's so exciting to see and I think you'll both love this because we actually ran a survey me and some of my colleagues with the American College of Prosthodontics, and it was just published last month where now almost ninety percent of dental schools are teaching their dental students, not the graduate residents, but they're teaching the dental students digital dentures at some level.
0: Wow, what percentage ninety it was eighty eight percent eight yep. Why do I find that hard to believe? Yeah, that's a lot. It's
2: such a change. I mean, when I started, there was nobody teaching it. And now, I
1: mean, the majority of dental students are graduating with exposure to digital dentures. Do you have to have one type of denture, one type of company, one type of scanner in a school? Are they just learning like the workflow for like several different kinds? Like, how does that even work? How do you teach that?
2: Uh, I think it varies really widely uh, from school to school. We actually work with printed dentures and milled dentures in our student clinics. And we teach, I feel like the easiest way to teach is the reference denture workflow Mm -hmm. or the copy denture workflow if you use three shape. Um, Just because it's, oh, it's such a, to me, it's such a no brainer (laughs) to like take that workflow and adopt it into your practice. It eliminates so many visits, so much unpredictability. And if you think about, a patient comes in with a denture that looks and functions kind of okay and they it may not fit anymore on the intaglio or they may have worn down the occlusion and you can take a wash impression, reestablish a bite, scan that and get a final denture back in just a few <laughs> visits versus what we were doing previously no matter how good their denture was saying well you're you're here at the dental school we're starting back at alginate <laughs> you know and taking seven appointments
0: yeah Wow. So what systems did your school get into? I mean, do you have a PEM7 for the mill?
2: We're mostly outsourcing our mill. We okay. have one of the, the VLAN mills that we can mill in-house, but I think both of you will appreciate how hard it oh, is yeah. to maintain a dry mill. <laughs> yeah. With 80 dental students per class plus, plus residents plus faculty, it's pretty hard to maintain a mill just for uh, removable. Yeah, So we mill a few, but mostly we outsource our milling with either Avident or one of our local sure. labs with iVoC We have a carbon in-house, a carbon M2. Wow. and so I know. <laughs> so that was exciting. So we got a carbon M2 in-house, and so we can print some of our um, immediates with some of the higher impact resins.
0: Mm. So when you start teaching new students removable, is it the digital workflow, or do you go through analog first, make them set teeth and wax...
2: We do, at our school, we do both simultaneously. So when they get, for example, my class just started this week. Oh. <laughs> so I gave them their impression lecture yesterday. And so we talked about alginets. We talked about border molding. We talked about custom trays, but we also talked about scanning. And then we kind of go through step-by-step. Step. So they'll they'll do a wax rim on their, their mannequin, their plastic patient, but they'll also do a monolithic try-in. And so it's it kind of Stepwise, they learn both workflows and then they get. I have a little manual that I share with my students, and I'm happy to send you guys a PDF if it's helpful that goes through step by step mostly the conventional, but also the digital. So that way they have everything kind of at their fingertips.
1: Did you have to write that curriculum?
2: Yes, but not by myself. (laughs) I had lots of help from lots of people, so I don't want to take credit for it. But it was, you know, it's it's kind of been my baby for the last few years, putting this curriculum together.
1: Wow. That's a lot of work. I have a girlfriend who's doing that in a a dental lab tech school and like, to write that curriculum and to be able to test on it and all of the things that have to do with that. That's, that's a very large undertaking, if I must say.
2: It is, I'm happy to help your friend if I can in any way. You can send her over to me.
0: <laughs> wow, it's crazy. What do students gravitate towards? The digital, I would hope?
2: You would think, but it's actually so, this is so fascinating to me because we, we did this with Dental Anatomy where they did a digital waxing and a conventional waxing. Uh, we did this with complete dentures and we did this with partials actually with a, the software that we talked about with Craig yeah. where they surveyed and designed with a surveyor and surveyed and designed with a software. And it's really, they they value both experiences, which to me kind of makes my heart happy because that's how you learn is when the digital goes awry, you can fall back on conventional and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So they really want both. And there's just this desire for both. And all the surveys I've done A small majority prefers conventional, a little larger, small (laughs) group prefers digital, but almost like the majority of the class likes both and they want both experiences.
1: And I would think that they would need both experiences because they're not automatically or they might not automatically go to a practice or open their own practice that has all of the digital scanning and everything.
2: Exactly. Especially in some of the more rural areas. And we have a lot, of, a lot of need in our rural areas, in the
1: southeast
2: especially. So we do want them to learn both still at this point. I think someday that'll switch and probably someday sooner than, than we all expect. But right now, we're still definitely learning both.
0: Yeah. Kind of surprises me because, what, most students were born after the year 2000 at this point? So yeah. they've all had iPads in their hands since six months old.
2: Exactly. And I, I, it surprised me too, but they say that I've had several students say that the digital component helps them better understand the conventional component. So I think that that's nice that they're just kind of like taking all these puzzle pieces and putting them together to get a really nice comprehension of the, of
0: both workflows. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: I know. Isn't it so cool?
0: (laughs) You're able to get a lot of Case studies with these digital dentures, right? I mean, your mm-hmm. your school's producing quite a bit. Yep. I mean, you mentioned briefly on breakage because they're too thin and you're adjusting, but and I know it hasn't been around since thirty seven, but <laughs> this is what I'm hearing a lot of people just don't trust the material yet.
2: Yeah, and I think um, it's it's interesting because when you think about the materials, I mean, we have monolithic milled. We have two-piece milled that's fused together. Mm-hmm. We have a milled denture base with bonded denture teeth. We have printed denture bases with carded denture teeth, printed denture bases with milled denture teeth, monolithic printed, printed and printed. And so when you think about all these different options, I mean, every one of them is going to fail in a different way. And I think prosthodontists are kind of the the specialty that sees the failures. And every time I do a procedure for any of my patients, I just kind of close my eyes and walk through the ways that it's going to fail and try to mitigate... Mm-hmm. <laughs> mitigate some of that as much as I can because I've, I've seen so many things fail and so many materials. And every now and then you get one that surprises you like a, a fractured cast gold post or something like that. <laughs> but with removable, it's they're all going to fail in different ways. And I think we know how conventional dentures fail because we've seen them fail for a hundred years. And because I think the failure mode is different with printed, maybe that's why we're having such a hard time wrapping our heads around it. It's kind of when we switched from the acrylic metal hybrids (laughs) to all zirconia. It's, you know, I mean, they both fail, but they just fail differently. So I think we have to learn how to fail with printed dentures versus how we failed and how we overcame the failures with conventional dentures. And I mean, milled dentures are just kind of, in my opinion, and this is totally my opinion, but I think monolithic milled dentures are just like super powered conventional <laughs> dentures, because they're both polymethylmethacrylate. We're just eliminating the porosity, eliminating the bonding surface, eliminating that interface. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you talk about CAD-CAM dentures, a monolithic milled denture is a totally different animal than if I print dentures on, you know, my Anycubic or my Elegoo or whatever I got on Amazon versus something that's printed on the carbon. And so I think, again, you're it's it's so hard to say they're gonna fail. Yeah, this is why they suck. Yeah, <laughs> because they're all different.
0: Well, I love it when people say, you know, well, these digital dentures they break, and we just don't know about them. And I'm like, don't you do regular acrylic denture repairs all day long? I mean, all day long? they break too. Yeah. I mean. <laughs>
2: They just break in a different way. And I I love to see, and this is, I mean, this is kind of a sick thing, but I I love to see how these dentures fail because we're learning so much and that's how these materials improve. And we didn't have FDA clearance of printed resins until 20, almost 2018. And so we only have five years data uh, for any printed dentures. So it's really going to be hard to compare this five-year data to a
1: hundred year data. (laughs) talk a lot about the failures can you kind of like walk me through something that fails you know just like how how do you how does it fail what happens how do they treat it what do they do wrong is it both the clinician as well as the the denture that fail and and what does that look it's never
0: the lab's fault
1: never ever oh no i learned that (laughs) i learned that early on (laughs) Uh, for our listeners to go through, like I can't for sure, say.
2: for sure. And so I like to go back to kind of our conventional failures. When I when when I taught complete dentures, just straight up conventional complete dentures, we see mostly midline fractures on mandibular dentures, and teeth debonding would kind of be our catastrophic failures, right? If there was wax contaminants on the denture teeth, or the glaze wasn't broken, or whatever and then you have all your one offs like porosity if the pressure wasn't tight mm. enough on your flask and one time I got a a pink tooth (laughs) when I didn't pack it tight enough and the tooth floated down into the denture base. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of ways that a conventional denture can fail when you're doing conventional processing. But I think the clinical failures we see are teeth debonding and midline fractures. And they vary, of course, if you're opposing natural dentition, they increase when there's implants involved and, and that we all expect it. So You know, we know how to repair it. We know what to do chair side. We can get some cold cure, bomb the tooth back in or do a pickup impression and send it to the lab and say, I need this back in 30 minutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Four days. Four days.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I must not have sent you any cases. (laughs) Like, when can you get here and when can you get it back?
0: (laughs) For me, it's always been traditional dentures. Those teeth are held on mechanically. Correct. So there's a tiny little hole inside of a denture tooth. You're trying to shoot this tiny little (laughs) bit of acrylic in there and hope that it holds on.
2: Yeah, and you can get some chemical bonding from the tooth to the base, but because the teeth are so highly cross-linked and the acrylic is so packed tight you can't really get the little fingers from the denture base resin to really adhere to it yeah. chemically very well but yeah you're, you're really relying on breaking the glaze getting that rough surface and getting those little tiny diatoric holes <laughs> to try to shoot it into and I, whenever you bond a carded denture tooth to a printed denture base or a milled denture base you're doing exactly the same thing because you're not getting the chemical bond of a carded denture tooth to really any material because of that um, yeah cross-linkage
0: but if you're printing teeth and printing a base
2: correct and then you fuse it with printed resin it's like adding resin to resin to resin so you are getting a chemical bond when you do all printed and of course there is no interface when you do a monolithic milled which i think is really cool the biggest issue i've heard with the monolithic milled comes from almost strictly prostodontics and lab techs and that would be the aesthetic of the milled teeth because they're more yeah. opacious than you would find with a carded denture tooth and the same with a you're not getting the, the the festooning and the stippling with a milling machine that you would get when you're hand carving a denture or hand waxing a denture
0: you can do that after the fact can't you
2: you can but it's it doesn't it doesn't translate as as pretty as it does with conventional processes. Sure. And from a clinical standpoint, I'm not sure how relevant that is. I know and it may be different with different patient populations, but I don't hear the patients I've worked with in North Carolina, the majority of them are super pleased with the aesthetics of the monolithic milled dentures. The dental students think they look fantastic. Most of the the general dentists I work with think they look fantastic, but then you know the prosthodontist and this is i mean to our credit this is how we were trained and they'll say well the papilla form doesn't look as good <laughs> yeah. as it does with waxing and it's not wrong i mean as you guys know when you start to hand wax and hand create these oh,
1: yeah.
0: dentures
2: and crown and bridge and there's a different appearance to it when it's hand fabricated versus when it's computer designed
0: yeah but you got to know your audience you know Correct. i mean the patients are usually coming in with a pretty bad denture to begin with or bombed out teeth that they're mm-hmm. going to get immediates and yep. anything slightly looking good is an a million times improvement.
2: Correct. So yeah, it just depends on your patient base. And I think the provider and the technician expectations, but I've, I've been pleased with my milled uh, monolithic dentures, but I know that that's not true across the board. And the number one reason I hear concerns about milled monolithic dentures are aesthetics.
0: But those will probably get better over time, right?
2: Yeah, and I think they are. We're starting to see some of the um, the gradiated pucks where you kind of have some more translucency mm-hmm. in part of the, the white puck. And um, we're seeing better color matches with the, the
1: base shades. But I don't know. Do you work one-on-one with companies that produce those things and beta test some of the materials for them ever?
2: Yeah, with some of them
1: I do that's a really
2: cool experience. <laughs> it's nice to kind of get to see some of the stuff on the the cutting edge that's coming out with these resins.
1: Oh yeah, I bet. And so like, if you do that, do you put it in the mouth or do you just kind of use it on the mill or what, how does that work? It depends
2: on the material and kind of how far along it is in testing. If it's not something that's FDA cleared or FDA approved, it's a little bit more of a challenge to try to do something intraorally. So a lot of that, I'm just evaluating bench top or, uh, how it polishes how it adjusts that kind of stuff
1: wow that's cool yeah it's really cool i think that would be a fun part of
2: your job yeah it's really cool i love the lab stuff so <laughs> you learn that about me <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a lab tech that found the wrong job
0: <laughs> well we appreciate you taking this lab knowledge to the position you're in because yeah someone needs to teach these kids yep. how it should be done <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I I think it's valuable for them to to see what that lab side entails. And I think more than anything, what I hope I teach my students is how to communicate with dental technicians, because I think that's probably the number one reason for failure, whether it's a denture or removable or fixed, is just us not (laughs) telling you what we need. And just that back and forth communication, I think, needs to be, it can't be overstated, that collegiality and the mutual respect.
0: Yeah, 100%. What are you doing most for the patients at your school? Is it milled dentures or are you doing printed printed, printed, carded, carded, carded? I don't know if I have options.
2: We still do some conventional. So I would say it's probably if I had to guess, it's probably about a third a third milled, a third processed, wow. and a third printed. And usually our printed ones are gonna be our interim or our immediate dentures.
0: Wow. Success wise. You think it's across the board the same? Taking out the immediate aspect of it, because immediates yeah. are immediates.
2: I would say so. With, I think that it, a lot of it varies with just the experience of whoever the attending faculty is as well as whatever lab we're working with. Because, I mean, you know that labs all have their specialties. And so like even for Crown & Bridge, I know that this guy does amazing PFMs. This girl does amazing zirconia. Yep. And it's ch- kind of trying to find that home. And it's the same with removable. The most amazing conventional text we have, I'm not going to ask them to print a denture and yeah. vice versa. <laughs> and so you got to kind of same, like you said earlier, you got to know your audience and my audience is going to be which texts excel in which areas. So I think because we kind of have that, we've gone through th- those growing pains. We do see a pretty similar failure rate. Um, mm-hmm. When our conventional dentures fail, it's usually, usually some sort of error, whether it's processing error or a missed occlusion mm-hmm. or Something like that. We do see some fractures still with our conventional dentures, some porosity in the processing, um, and they end up having to go back. A lot of it's fit issues because, I mean, when you think about regardless of how excellent the technician or the clinician are, you're going to have shrinkage of the resin period when you process. So, just whenever that's compensated for well, then you get lucky. (laughs) Uh, With milling and printing, it's a one to one fit. So, you're not worrying about that fit necessarily. With printing, I can see difference, a lot more differences on the learning curve for both the clinician and the technician where the teeth weren't bonded well or it wasn't polished well and you can see more staining. With milling, I've, we probably see the fewest failures. Again, they're usually shade changes because the <laughs> the try-in doesn't match the final product.
1: Yeah,
2: Most of the quote unquote failures we see with the mill dentures are gonna be shade changes which is such an easy problem to solve.
1: Yeah. So do you take the whole class through the failure and be like, okay, this is why this failed? No,
2: but that's a really good idea. And I think I'm going to write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Barb for making me a better teacher.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I was curious because, you know, it's, you want to learn from your failures because you want to know what not to do.
2: Or... You're absolutely right. I think that's a great idea. I think that'd be a really cool lecture and you can put up the denture and try to, to guess the guess the manufacturing method and then go through the cause of failure. I love that, Barb. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank
0: you. Failure ideas by Barb. Cool. <laughs> so you do the monolithic try-in with digital dentures, right? Correct. Are they always printed?
2: Um, for the most part now. When we first started, we did A lot of milled ones just when we were learning the workflow.
0: I didn't even know you could mill one of those.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. You have a white puck and you mill it. (laughs) But then the the cost and the time investment doesn't really make sense. So the only reason that I would recommend it is you're getting a better, more predictable fit if you're milling it, but but it's usually not worth it.
1: So hold on. So you're doing a try-in, a printed try-in, and then a printed final? You can, for sure, either a printed try-in and a
2: printed final or a printed try-in and a milled final. I think in practice, a lot of clinicians will skip that printed try-in step yeah, because of (laughs) probably the same reason you were just thinking that you may as well print the final and then if it doesn't fit, use the final as the try-in. Bingo. But in in the school setting, we want to teach them the monolithic try-in, especially since they're doing both milled and printed.
0: Well, I'm seeing that a lot out You know, just in in Indiana, that we're doing digital dentures and we're doing a lot of monolithic try-ins, and most dentists love the monolithic try-in.
2: Oh, that makes me
0: happy. Most patients, eh, (laughs) not so much, because it's just that one solid, like A two. I think we do it in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a little shocking to them.
2: A two is my favorite color, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Is it because any pink, Elvis? Yeah, it's
0: because it doesn't have that pink.
2: We're starting to come up with really cool ways around that now. There's a new product coming out that you can, it's kind of like you can add the pink to it pretty quickly. And some people are painting on like some of the pink flowable resins or some people are printing them in the... The lower cost economy type resins just to skip that because it's it's almost the same price and the same amount of time to print it in two shaded economy resin as it is a monolithic mill and the avident has been doing that too they've been actually printing them on the stratasys j5 and so that's been a really that's been really cool to me because i think that printer is so cool
0: (laughs) that's the one that does multiple colors in one print right (laughs)
2: Yeah, that was one of those things that blew my mind when I when I saw that. That's going to be a game changer in dentistry, I think, in the next decade.
1: Yeah, I've seen that printer. Are they actually physically fabricating them, or are they in the beta stage?
2: Oh, they're physically fabricating them. They have FDA clearance, and you can fabricate the monolithic printed dentures now for uh, prosthetics.
0: Have you seen those Elvis? I saw a printer. It's probably at a lab day a couple years ago. It didn't even print dentures. They printed a plate of food and it (laughs) had like all the different colors of, you know, there's like an apple on there and a banana and whatever, but they're all the different colors on one thing printed at once. Wow.
2: It's so cool. It's so cool. You could print every tooth in the arch a different color. I think with immediate dentures, that's going to be really cool to see like these patients that have very stained teeth that don't want people to know they're getting immediates. I mean, you could do some really cool stuff with that
0: printer. So I want to talk to you about a dentalist workflow. I mean, you mentioned the reference denture. That's if Mm -hmm. a patient already has a denture. Half the records are already there. But how do you do a digital denture on a patient that has nothing? It hasn't worn a denture in 10 years.
2: Sure. And I think there's so many different ways you can do it now. Um, There's so many workflows available. So it's kind of what works best in the clinician's hands. Mm -hmm. When I have people that want to do a fully digital workflow, you sure can start with an intraoral scan.
0: Of soft tissue.
2: Correct. Of soft tissue. It's getting easier. I personally don't feel like I can border mold with a scanner yet. I'm not there completely. But if you take it as a preliminary impression, you can then print a record basin rims, or you can print a Wagner try-in, or you can print something that you can then use to take a final impression in.
0: Where do you stand on this whole compression of soft tissue that you get with an impression that you don't get with the scanner
2: Well, and there's a lot of different philosophies on impression making. I am one that believes if you've gotten a good impression of the borders and you've gotten a good impression of the ridge, your denture is going to (laughs) fit truly.
0: Everything else doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. And I think I still teach my students, no matter what workflow you choose, you have to border mold somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you're not taking a conventional impression at the onset, if you're starting with a scan, you're going to end up doing a border mold inside of your uh, record base or a border mold inside of your monolithic try-in or mm-hmm. something. Kind of like when you think about the, the partial denture workflow for a distal extension. Once you process that, you either have to do a border molded impression, a altered cast or a corrected cast impression, or you're relining the saddles on the final because you can't get that adaptation. It's the same thing with digital. You mm-hmm. can get a scan. But like you said, the tissues aren't under compression. You're going to take an impression somewhere. It yeah. just
0: won't at some point you have
2: two, to three or five. Yeah.
0: Wow. You still got to do a bite block. So you're doing it during that stage.
2: Yeah. Usually that's when I do it. So I'll start with a scan, go to a bite block or start with a scan and go to a Wagner, which is basically a bite block with anterior teeth arranged. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually the point where I'll, I'll pick up my wash impression.
0: Okay. <laughs> and then how do you border mold at that point? What's your technique for getting a wash impression?
2: It depends on the fit of the tray. So a lot of times with scans, we end up with an underextended impression. Mm -hmm. So usually the record base is short of the vestibule. So then you can just do your conventional border molding technique, use compound or heavy body or polyether or whatever you want to try to fill in that space with that (laughs) material. And then I'll do a wash, like a light body or uh, extra light over that.
0: And what do you say to all those dentists out there that don't want to do border molding?
2: train your assistants to do
0: because <laughs> <laughs> I see it all the time yeah. like I don't want to
2: hire a UNC grad as your associate <laughs> at border molding because they've done it quite a lot so again the new graduates have a different perspective of complete dentures and I don't I'm hoping in my heart maybe that they're not graduating with that same fear or disdain or bad taste that we graduated when I was in dental school. Well, not me, yeah. <laughs> but all my, all my peers. I'm hoping that this new generation being exposed to digital will come out with a fresher perspective. So, they shouldn't be afraid of border molding. They shouldn't be afraid of record bases. They shouldn't be afraid of monolithics or wax or
1: anything. So, that's that's what I hope. Hire an associate if you don't like to border mold. <laughs> <laughs> How do you border mold? Like, Take me through that because I'm not a removable technician, so I'm sure some of our listeners. So what, why is that hard or why do they not like it and what is it?
2: Sure. So when you take a regular impression for crown and bridge or for diagnostics, it's usually a one-step impression where you load up a tray, put it in the patient's mouth and take it out. Yep. With border molding, it's a two-step impression. So first you adapt the tray to the limiting structures, so the depth of the vestibule, Retromolar pads, tuberosities, that sort of stuff, and try to get the seal for retention before Mm -hmm. you take an impression of the rest of the tissue. So it's basically you do the borders first in your impression, and then you do a second impression with a lighter material. It's similar. I don't know if you guys, I learned a long time ago the H&H technique where you basically do like an impression of the teeth, and then you fill the impression up with light body and put it back in to impress a prep. Same technique, but
1: just gums instead of teeth. So it's just more time-consuming, so the doctors don't really want to spend that much time doing it? 100%. Yeah, okay, much. gotcha.
0: It's like okay. the records we need that they don't feel like we do. <laughs> uh, uh, the most important ones. Right? Yeah. A bite. <laughs> but there's no way to do that with a scanner
2: it's it's hard to do that with a scanner i have worked with some clinicians that have kind of perfected their scanning technique they've come up with different retractors and workflows where they can get down a lot further into the vestibule but i think again it really it works in some people's hands it does not work in my hands so i still i always take a conventional impression somewhere in the workflow And i encourage clinicians to do the same
0: you ever take the impression and then scan the impression
2: oh yeah all the time
0: okay So you still eliminate that whole pouring up a model. Nice.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's my, my, one of my goals in life is to never pour up another model.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said you were a technician. Come on.
2: (laughs) I'm not a model tech. I like to do waxing. (laughs) For sure. I like the resins (laughs) and the waxes. So you guys have an impression scanner? We do have an impression scanner. We are also working with an intraoral scanner. So, a lot of times, you, the newest software is on the three shape and the prime scan. And now, I think the Shining even has a setting where you can tell it you're scanning an impression and it'll let you kind of pick up that detail a little easier. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: Is that where you're using Trios and prime scan mostly? Mm hmm. Maybe you can't answer this question, but how come you get all the cool toys? I thought school had, <laughs> had trouble buying stuff.
2: I, I kind of like sneak my way around, and sometimes I don't know if I'm supposed to be using this stuff. No, I'm just using. It. I be, I just I get excited when I see anything new and shiny. So,
0: Doctor Clark, what is this invoice for? I don't know.
2: <laughs> Talk to my lab tech. Yeah.
0: So, one of the reasons you keep popping up on social media is you're out speaking. So you're taking this farther out than just your school.
2: Correct. It's, I mean, it's, I always talk about how it's such a weird niche to have found, but I'm so glad that I found it (laughs) where I really, I mean, people are really excited about removable pros and it's, I've been excited about removable pros since I took my class as a second year dental student. So it's, I'm so enthusiastic about this. I'm finally seeing other people that are enthusiastic about this and it's a really cool time to be making dentures.
0: I think it's perfect because there's such a need
2: Mm -hmm. for
0: removable and a lack of technicians that can do it. Yep. There's some fabulous ones out there and I don't want to, I don't want to discount the ones that are doing it, but to meet the need of the people that need them,
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Enough. And the same from the clinician side. I mean, there's a lot of prosthodontists that have always loved dentures, but we can't accommodate the needs of all these patients. So I think we need to create a generation of both technicians and clinicians that really can understand this workflow and understand the art. And I don't think that there's an infrastructure to support a, a conventional way anymore. And I think digital is needed to fill in that gap.
0: And I run into clinicians all the time that they don't want to do removable. I mean I know. they just they just refer refer refer.
1: But why? It's so fun. <laughs> but from what you're saying, doctor, is that you're saying like what, 80%, 80 to 90% are graduating with the digital denture knowledge. And so I'm wondering if the labs can keep up with the, the dentists that are graduating that want it.
2: Exactly. And I, th- I think the, the technology is going to become easier to adapt and accommodate. And it's so cool to see that there's a lot of technicians now speaking at Lab Day and speaking on webinars and speaking for companies about the digital workflows. And I think that there's enough education out there now for both the clinical side and the technician side that I'm hoping that we can see a, a revolution in access to care and really start serving this community that desperately needs teeth.
1: I'll say. I mean, we talked to a lot of folks on this podcast, and there's not a heck of a lot of laboratories that are doing digital
0: dentures. I think it's getting more and more. Yeah. Some of the bigger labs, I think, are adopting to it because they have to be able to meet the demand. Mm-hmm. You guys are doing it, right? Yeah, we're doing a ton of them.
1: Yeah, okay. Maybe it's just in my niche. Maybe we got to catch up in Florida.
0: You got to get out of the fixed world, Barb. <laughs> when you speak, who are you speaking to? Mostly clinicians? Do you come to technician conventions and talk?
2: I've been coming more and more lately to dental laboratories and different lab conventions. I'll be at Lab Day this year for the yes. first time. That's exciting on the 23rd. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. So I'm starting to speak with more. Technicians, There's been a, a movement lately that I think is really cool. And I, maybe it started with you guys in 2022, but I've been asked more often to speak with dental technicians. Yeah, nice. so there's a prosthodontist and a technician side by side, and then you can kind of get both perspectives from the same team. And I think that's really cool.
0: I do too. Awesome. So are you speaking with the lab tech you fell in love with years and years ago? <laughs> Who are you speaking with?
2: Sue Bransky. She retired. I speak with um Jimmy Stagall. I've spoken with Rob Cryer and Jack Morano and you know, Craig. Oh yeah.
0: Oh heavy hitters.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. I do feel honored to have the opportunity to be with some of these these legends in Removable. So I appreciate that. I'm it does not go unnoticed that I've gotten lucky to be with some of these really, really incredible technicians.
0: Yeah. So I think this episode will come out before lab day. So where are you speaking for who and what are you talking about?
2: I'm speaking in the Trudent room and I will be talking. What's Trudent? Trudent is one of the resins for the Stratasys, one of the model printers. Uh, That's Um, cool. It is cool. And I will be speaking about digital denture workflows. So kind of showing some of the clinical side to technicians. So now I'm probably going to talk about
1: failures. <laughs> <laughs> to have to credit Marb on that. So thank you. <laughs> oh, awesome! Maybe we'll catch you because we'll be in the same area. Obviously. Yeah,
0: come visit me. <laughs> I think it's cool that technicians see the clinical side.
2: I agree. Same for clinicians to see the technical side. I think, like I said, I think communication is so key and. I mean, we're a team and we can't we can't live without you. So yeah. thank you
0: for all you do. No, and and same. We need it right from you. And we talk a lot on this podcast about and Barb, you mentioned this a ton when you get to see your work in a patient's mouth. Oh yeah. But for removable, it's more like not seeing it in the mouth, but so much of how we get the records. Yeah. And how do what we do? Go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and how we streamline that.
2: Yeah, and I think digital is going to help with that a lot. Like you said, with a where like we were talking about earlier, with the preservation of records and the back and forth. Now, in my dreams, I think one of the most underutilized aspects is going to be that uh, digital preview. And instead of sending me a wax setup and then me sending it back to you, you send me a digital tooth arrangement, send me a text, and I say, "Can you move these teeth?" And then you send me another text and you know what I mean? I feel like yeah. that nice. to me should, even though there still is back and forth, it's a less painful back and forth than a physical articulator with a wax tooth arrangement.
0: Yeah. Cause well, a lot of so. the times we send out those wax try-ins or the monolithics and the only change you need to do is, you know, can you pull in the canines a little bit? Exactly. We could have done that visually before, We went through the time of printing and getting the patient in and trying it in.
2: Exactly. And I think with conventional tooth arrangement, it's so hard to see from like a two-dimensional photograph. But when you can move a digital file around or send a 3D PDF or whatever, and you can look at this tooth arrangement together, I think that goes a long way.
0: Yeah. What do you think is going to be the next big thing in digital dentures?
2: Oh, that's good. I think the scanners are going to keep improving, and I think the printed resins are going to take over.
0: Nice. You think they're going to get better than where Lucitone is right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Because Lucitone's kind of that, I don't know, the best of the best, I guess, for the printed.
2: Yeah. But I mean, it's still, you're still bonding two pieces together. So there's still air in the bonding. Yeah. And it's still, like I said, I know it's an amazing material. I use Lucitone all the time with my patients. Sure. It's one of my go-to resins. But I mean, there's, I think Dentsply is probably constantly working to improve it. And I think that the workflows are going to change. The other thing I think we're going to see is more printed partials. I think that that, that partial dentures are going to be the next up and coming thing, because that workflow still isn't quite there yet.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome. Dr. Clark, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us super early. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. I learned so much. I, I know. You. And Barb, you've inspired me. So wow. it's been a really, always a really cool opportunity to talk to you both. And I really, really, really appreciate
0: this. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you. And we'll see you in Chicago. Awesome. Yay. See you
2: in February. Take Alrighty. care.
0: Alrighty. Have a good one. You too. Bye.
1: Bye. A huge thank you to Dr. Clark for coming on our podcast again and giving us your perspective of digital dentures and removables in general. We love, love, love talking to dentists that have a love of lab work and can help close the gap of conversation for a better outcome. If you want to see Dr. Clark in Chicago, she will be presenting on Friday from 2.30 to 3.30 in the Roosevelt 3B. See a link on this episode's show notes and something she never talked about is she will be speaking a few times oh a few times in Elvis's hometown is that correct Elvis she's yeah. coming to your town yeah nice so she's coming to Indianapolis or is it Chicago I'm not sure
0: <laughs> old joke
1: <laughs> <laughs> old joke she's coming to Indianapolis at the IDT Live Digital Dentistry Symposium April 12th through 13th
0: Yeah, if you remember IDT, it's back. It was gone for a while because of COVID and everything, and they're actually bringing it to Indianapolis. I was shocked. Well, I think that's pretty cool. Your town's getting hip. Don't say it's because they're coming. (laughs) I love it. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye. All right, let's record this episode. The views and opinions expressed on the Voices from the Bench podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the host or Voices from the Bench LLC.